0: Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be hearing from Dr. Bart Barber. Bart Barber has served as the pastor of First Baptist Church in Farmersville, Texas, since 1999. At the SBC annual meeting in Anaheim, California in June 2022, Bart was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. A native of Lake City, Arkansas, Bart has served churches in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. He has earned degrees from Baylor University and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, culminating in a PhD in church history. Without further ado, Dr. Bart Barber.
1: Well, this is my third time, actually, to come to Crystal College and preach in chapel and as i was arriving today i told my wife i know how this goes i've been to this before i've got the whole drill down and then they walked me into a completely different room uh, than i'd ever been to before because the last time i went to chapel it was in the the room downstairs and so i don't know how many years you guys have been up here uh, but that's how long it's been uh, since i've been here to preach in chapel before and i want to um i want to commend you on coming to Crystal College and I just want to say how optimistic I am about what Crystal College is seeking to do uh, in your life. Uh, this is a moment where you get the chance uh, to strive toward the improvement of your mind and uh, that's, 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 a, that's an opportunity that doesn't seem precious maybe to you right now because your whole life has been school up to this point. Uh, all the way through from elementary school. And even before that, you know, you're learning your ABCs, you're learning how to read and write. And then you got into more formalized education, and that carried you through all the way up until now. Uh, But the time's going to come when that part of your life that has been all of your life up until now is going to be the minority of your life. Uh, if you, when you get old like me, and uh, I've lived more years almost not in school than I lived in school, and so you have to take advantage of this moment of opportunity. You are you're acquiring valuable resources and being able to think. That you're going to be able to use for the rest of your life and apply to solve real problems and to help people with significant uh, situations that they face and to give leadership to people and so that's really important you are strengthening your faith here at Chriswell. you are also uh, um, well you're also strengthening your faith here at Chriswell. in addition to the strengthening of your mind and that's important too because Uh, outside of these walls, there are people who are asking questions about your faith. Uh, And they're gonna pose those questions to you. And as you seek to answer those questions, uh, your own strength of faith is gonna be deepened, not only by the facts that you learned here, but also by the experiences that you had here to grow and deepen your faith. And all of that is an introduction about what I'm not going to talk about today. Uh, you are you're growing with your mind. You're growing in your faith, but I want to take just a moment today to give you some reflections upon Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty-three. Proverbs four twenty-three says this. I'm reading from the ESV, but I'll wind up turning it into the Bart Standard Version before we're done. Uh, but in the ESV, Proverbs four twenty-three says, "Keep your Heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life I have one simple point that I want to make today I hope you'll walk away with and that's it simply this while you are growing your mind And while you are working on your faith, be careful to guard your heart above everything else. If you walk out of this place and you've not done that, you'll be ill-equipped to experience the life that God has for you. Let's take a look at this very simple statement here in the book of Proverbs. And and this is Solomon speaking to his son. And um, it's... um, the kind of wisdom that you try to give to someone you care about a lot. He starts by saying, above all else, you should post guard on your heart. We, we use the word guard for a lot of things. You've, you've, you know about shin guards, you know about mouth guards, uh, you know about trigger guards, uh, you know about security guards. There are a lot of different things that we talk about that we use the word guard for, but this is very specific. What he's talking about here is where you would, you would post a, a company of soldiers to stay up when everybody else is asleep and to pay attention when everybody else is distracted so that they can provide security for a resource that is too valuable to allow it to be conquered and taken over by an enemy. Post a guard, keep a guard on your heart because your heart is exactly that. It's something that an enemy is seeking. It's something that can be conquered and fall into the hands of bad influences. It's something that falls in that way When instead of keeping watch and guarding it, people are distracted or tired. And so because it has that vulnerability and because it has that value and significance, it's worth putting forth the effort to guard it against those vulnerabilities. This, he says, is the thing to be done, the ESV says, with all vigilance. I'll tell you, what the way I would translate that particular bit of Hebrew, uh, if I were, uh, and, and I don't know that you should pay attention to this because I don't have a PhD in Hebrew. Uh, I don't have a PhD in Old Testament. Uh, but, uh, but for all you know, I'm really good at it. Uh, and so I'll offer you this suggestion anyway. Uh, I I think a great translation of this would be to say, above all else, above all else, post a guard on your heart because all of your life flows out of it. And so he's saying, it says, with all vigilance here, that's an attempt to to translate that part that says, above all else, this is what you should do. and yet sometimes that's the last thing that we guard sometimes that's the lowest level of importance because we're in a season of life where what we're thinking about is being equipped i want to i want to pick up skills i want to pick up knowledge because your reward, especially at this moment in your life. You get grades about your mind. (laughs) Those go home to mom and dad. The evaluations that happen about the things that you're learning happen maybe weekly in some classes. And certainly, at least once a semester, you're facing finals you're being measured and evaluated based on what you have learned and maybe also you're being measured and evaluated based on your work ethic some of you may have a job that you're working while you're a student to try to help to be able to afford college try to be able to 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 gain some money to help you have a life outside of college that you're, that you're working and you're being evaluated, whether it's an on-campus job or an off-campus job, you're being evaluated based upon your diligence, your work ethic. It is possible that one or two of you have decided that it would be important to you to have some relationships too, outside of your academic work. Whether you are looking for romance to find you Or just the fact that you'd like to have some friends and so you're being evaluated on your personal skills you're being evaluated on your ability to to react socially with one another and uh, and build friendships and to build other relationships or you're being evaluated on your appearance it happens all the time you're evaluated on your appearance and that's something that you're worried about you're trying to improve you're sitting there right now thinking i wish i had the sculpted body of that man up there who's speaking to us here this morning Uh, body by bluebell i'll tell you that's the uh that's that's the secret that i've got Um, but you're being evaluated on all of those things but it's not very often that by any formal instrument anybody comes to you and says, let me give you a grade, let me give you a paycheck, let me give you an employee evaluation, let me give you a friend's insight into the state of your heart, it's easy to lose sight of it, and yet the scripture says that really you need to take care of it first, above all of the other things. Why? Why should you, above all of the other things, be guarding your heart? Here's the answer that we're given in scripture. For from it flow the springs of life. Like I said, the translation I would give is to say, all of your life flows out of the state of your heart. Which means that if your heart falls in battle to an enemy, an enemy who, can, who, who has gained that high ground is able to shape the battle everywhere else. All of your life will be affected by the health of your heart. Terribly important. You know, Sometimes sometimes the the way that I look at the world, if I get caught up in the wrong moment, is I think of life, I think of my life not as something that flows out of me, but I think of my life as something that happens to me. Because let's face it, there are a lot of things that are just not under my control, right? I don't, I don't have any control over the circumstances of my birth. I was born in a particular place, to a particular set of parents, in the midst of a particular set of siblings, and I was born in all of the strangeness that amounts to just being me. Okay. And some of what's happening in life, you can feel like it's just something that's coming at you, something that you were dealt that was beyond your control. Uh, Some of you will work very little at your studies this semester and will pass everything. I just want you to know, if that's you, that everybody else here hates you, Because you, cause you, you just do you that. Just, you just walk in. You don't take notes. You don't study. You're just sitting there in the classroom. You walk back in and you make 95 on the test. And then some of you will labor hard in every class, every day, and will squeak by doing that. Because you can't control the circumstances of your birth. You can't control whether you're somebody for whom it all comes really easy, or whether you're somebody who has to work at it. So you can't control the circumstances of your birth. You can't control the economics of the world. You can't control the weather or the climate or natural disasters or geopolitics. You can't control what other people around you do. And it is easy to come to the point where you think that, that's what life is, it's the accumulation of the weather and the other people and the economy and the jobs that are available and the place that you're swept off to and who's nice to you and who's not nice to you. And you look at all of those things and say, that's what life is, it's a set of things that come at me. But this passage says that life is actually shaped by what comes out of you, not by what comes at you that it's shaped by the nature of your heart. The quality of the life, the joyfulness of the life that lies ahead of you will rise or fall based upon whether you above all else guard your heart. And if you've got an hour and a half, I'll go through all of the Bible verses that help us to understand the nature of that. But if you don't have an hour and a half, let me just give you a few. First of all, Solomon's father, David, when he got into a terrible mess because of the nature of his heart, wrote a prayer to God that's in the Bible in which he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart. So the first thing about how your heart shapes the life that flows out of you is that you need God to create in you a heart that has been cleansed from the mess that it's already become. We all need God's miraculous divine action to purify And restore our hearts to what they should have been all along. After you do that, although you cannot control the circumstances that life throws at you, what you do with that will depend upon the heart that receives it. Scripture says, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials in your life. Obviously, life can throw bad things at you, and your heart can find joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. I did a search because God gave us Logos, or whatever other Bible software you might like to use. I'm not like a paid ad for Logos or anything. I'm just saying, that's the one I've got, and I like it. And I did a search through the wisdom literature of all the uses of the word heart in Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Let me tell you some of the things that it said to us about what our heart does. First of all, our heart contains some things. The Psalms speak to us about this. The Proverbs speak to us about this. That I can have a heart that stores up anger and bitterness and and kind of a delight in doing the wrong thing? It's okay. We can admit that to one another. Sometimes we get there where we delight in doing the wrong thing. We have a heart that's just inclined toward that. Okay? You get to choose whether, whether You're gonna let God lead you to have a heart that actually finds joy in good things rather than being tempted by bad things. Our heart can contain gratitude. Our heart can contain joy. It says a a, a merry heart is good medicine, right? We We get to choose what's in our heart. It contains things. We also read in the scriptures that our heart says things and listens to things it's a voice that's speaking into you as you encounter what's happening to you in your life we can cause our heart to contain the word of god psalm 119 says uh, thy word have i hidden in my heart that i might not sin against you and we can also have our heart sometimes our heart will say to us bad things the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But we can also have a heart that speaks good things, that reminds us, that, a heart that in some places in the psalm speaks to us, I'm not gonna be afraid. Whenever I feel afraid, I'm not gonna, feel, I'm not gonna be afraid, I'm gonna trust in you. How do you guard your heart? Just give you a few practical things and then actually it's time for me to wrap up. This is the most important thing that you can do while you're in college. How do you guard your heart? One, be careful about what you do to your heart during struggles. You're at the age that some people will have a heart that just grows cynical, jaded, embittered because you've been hurt. And instead of doing what God calls us to do when we're hurt, which is to grant forgiveness and trust in the Lord, You store up that anger, that betrayal in your heart. You become cynical, you become jaded, you become negative, you become untrusting. And that can shape a lifetime of difficulty for you. Secondly, be careful and be on guard for your heart when you encounter new temptations. You're in in a season of your life where you're encountering new temptations. And those new temptations can lead you to the point where your heart becomes obsessed with things that are bad. Whereas instead, you have the opportunity to have your heart become more and more obsessed with things that are good and healthy. And then the last thing I would say is this, it's in a passage that I looked at earlier. Be on guard for your heart by making sure to fill it with the things of God. Worship! Read Scripture, study, hide away God's Word in your heart, and lift your heart up to get closer and closer to the Lord, and and He will then help you to have a heart that is healthy and formed and ready to move forward. Let me tell you something. Um... I have been through, um, over the last five years, both the most difficult and the most rewarding five years of my life ever. Just a little personal testimony for that. Uh, Difficult because a lot of people have died in my life, who were precious to me. Uh, My father-in-law, whom I loved profoundly, my mother, God gave me such good parents. What an amazing blessing that she has been. People in my church who have become the the rocks of my existence. And on top of all that, you should see what they say about me online sometimes. (laughs) And it's just, in some ways, it's been very difficult. But it's also been very rewarding over the last five years. And I have noticed in some of the difficulties that it has revealed to me things that were not good in my heart, that I needed to work on. And I have noticed in some of the things that we've endured beyond what people would think that we could endure, that it was the fruit of investments that were made just to try to keep my heart simple and pure and honest and in love with Jesus. And you have no idea when your worst five years are coming. And you have no idea when your best five years are coming. And you have no idea what the circumstances will be for any of those things. But I'm telling you, whatever they are and whenever they come, if you will let God create in you a strong and clean and pure heart today, that's the thing that will get you through them. And that's the thing that will help you to enjoy them. All of your life will flow out of the nature of your heart. Father, I thank you for the fact that we have... One who is the maker of our hearts. One who's the giver of love and joy. One who is the protector of us against every enemy. Help us to be people who guard our hearts and try to keep them close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Would you guys join me in thanking Bart Barber?
1: <clears throat> Sitting like this. So, let's get back there.
2: Um, I have a confession to make before we get started. Right. I don't ever wear a coat to work, ever. But I was asked yesterday to do the Q&A with you. I used to do this, I don't do it anymore. And I said, I have to wear a jacket because Bart's gonna be in a suit and tie. And I can't, I can't look. That's
1: just my thing. Listen, I'm, uh, we have, I'm like the only person in our church who is every Sunday in a suit and tie. And um, uh, I can't use the excuse anymore that I used to use because in June, my mom passed away. I always told people I'm afraid if I didn't wear suit and tie, my mom would find out and then I'd be in trouble. Uh, Probably the more accurate answer about that is that, um, so I was saved when I was not quite six years old. God called me to preach when I was 11 and I started preaching pretty regularly when I was 15 and I did not need help looking any younger than I was. Uh, at 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 fifteen, sixteen years old, going not like to the youth group to preach, going to churches to preach to everybody at the church. Um, is there just, photo
2: evidence of that?
1: Yeah, I'm sure there is. Okay, uh, I don't know how to I'll produce. I'll follow up with it. you, Tracy. Uh, but um, but it was it was really helpful because you need to be taken seriously and in all those churches you know there are people who who dressed up a little and I just got used to this and this is just this is me now I I put on suit and tie when I'm preaching
2: yeah well it's your thing
1: and yeah go you
2: go Bart. uh I know someone's got a microphone I think that they're going to come around for questions I'm going to start off and if you've got a question while I'm asking him go ahead and and raise your hand and they'll bring the mic to you uh we're aiming for concise here we got 12 15 minutes I want you to answer a question that you answered a version of this the last time I did a QA and a with you. You're more you're more, uh, more suited even now, that too. You're more suited now to answer the question that I asked you a similar version of. So, um, you're a man who loves Jesus, you love your wife and your family, you love your church, but you also love, I mean, you love the Southern Baptist Convention and we, we have that in common. The Southern Baptist Convention, our uh, numbers are down, our baptisms are down, giving is down, We've got sexual abuse stuff we're trying to deal with and do that in a way that's, that's honoring to the Lord. Uh, we're trying to deal with some infighting and some division. This is not a time when, like, the sales pitch on the SBC is an easy one, and yet you would say it's worth pressing into that. In a time when I would, I'm anecdotally saying this, but I think a lot of people in y'all's generation uh, the idea, the concept of this like organized denominational life in church is less appealing or less you, you haven't grown up being taught to like love and value this the way that I maybe was or you were. What's your pitch to a 20 year old in college to say don't give up on the Southern Baptist Convention?
1: So if I'm going to be concise with the answers, be a little bit concise with the question. It that took like I'm five sorry. minutes. I'm not good at that. I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, one of the greatest things about the Southern Baptist Convention is that it forces me to care about churches other than my own and ministries other than my own. Because it's really easy for me to look and say that if you're a student at this institution, it is likely that longer than you've been alive, I've been the pastor of First Baptist Church in Farmersville, Texas. I've been there since 1999. And it would be really easy for me to just care about that just care about those people, just care about that area. But the fact of the matter is I think God has called us to a vision for the kingdom of God that is larger than our own little thing. And if you've got a vision for the kingdom of God that's larger than your own little thing, because after all, he said that we're to pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, not just in Farmersville as it is in heaven, but on earth as it is in heaven. And it is easy to find fault with the Southern Baptist Convention. It's easy to find fault with other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. But I wrote my doctoral dissertation about a group of people who found fault with the Southern Baptist Convention in 1902 and split off to form their own thing. And they've got a denomination that's been in existence now for 120 years. They've had 120 years to build what they were gonna do. And they've got like 20 missionaries total. And we commissioned 72 new missionaries just at the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention last year. And we do that multiple times a year. And I'm not saying that bigger is always better, I'm just saying that if you decide to just go on your own, in a hundred years you probably still won't have the number of seminary students who are being equipped and trained with God's Word, and the number of university students that are being equipped to be launched upon the world, and the number of missionaries that are going around the world to share the gospel, and the number of church planters who are in North America trying to plant churches It's going to be hard for you to have the number of disaster relief volunteers who are going to go in when a tornado comes in and tears someplace up. And so if you don't care only about your own church, if you care about making a worldwide impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I can make a sales pitch about the Southern Baptist Convention that will be appealing to you because we are highly effective at all of those things.
2: Amen. I'll preach. Uh, questions?
3: Hi, thank you, sir. Um, my question is
1: Hold on, I'm, I'm going to go African on you, okay? Sorry? I'm going to go African on okay. you. Okay. Because, like in Senegal, if I walk up and try to buy fish, they won't sell me any fish or any vegetables or anything. They'll stop me and say, hey, listen, here, we introduce ourselves to each other and know who each other is. So you tell me your name and where you're from.
3: Understood. My name is Heath, like the candy bar. Yeah, Heath. And uh, I'm...
1: Are you sweet like the candy bar? Uh,
3: no. Okay, very good. <laughs> Quite bitter, actually. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm from Plano.
1: Okay, great. Uh, now your question, go ahead.
3: So my question is perhaps a little bit uh, cynical, but you're an important guy uh, uh, you could go to <laughs> President of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, you could go to Southern Seminary uh, Southwestern, Southeastern uh, any of the Baptist places that exist uh, around the country and and talk there and say stuff there but you come to Criswell which is smaller than your church Um, why? Well, oh, what value do you uh, find in coming to a place as small as this. Sorry, it's so cynical, but yeah.
1: I love that uh, line in the post-exilic books when they're trying to figure out uh, whether they're going to be excited about a temple that doesn't look anything like Solomon's temple looked before it was torn down, and they said, do not despise the day of small things. So the fact of the matter is, Heath, I, First Baptist Farmersville is the largest church I've ever been a part of in my life. I grew up in a church that had only people related to me pretty much who were in it and um, and when I was in the youth, my youth group was me and the pastor's two sons. those were the only consistent people attended who th- attended anything that the youth were doing and um and, and when I took my first pastorate after Tracy and I got married, it was in Mill Creek, Oklahoma, a population of 481 people. And that was a tiny little church. So let me tell you about this. The three people who were in the youth group, John Sanders, who's successful oil and gas accountant, and me, and then John's brother, Keith, who's the pastor of First Baptist Keller, just across the way, large, influential, important church. Okay, the Johnston Marshall Baptist Association in Oklahoma, where I served that church in a town of 481 people. I commuted to Southwestern Seminary there from there with Ken Miller, who works for the North American Mission Board, and occasionally a doctoral student at Oak Grove Baptist Church in Medill, Oklahoma, would ride with us. And his name's Mark McClellan, and now he's a professor of missions over at Southwestern Seminary, and then the pastor who was the moderator of the association when I first got there was at Little City Baptist Church. Little City may have had five or six hundred people in it. You know, it's a a metropolitan area uh, there in Marshall County, and uh, anyway, that guy was a fellow named Hans Dilbeck, who's now the president of Guidestone Financial Resources here in Dallas, one of the entity heads for the Southern Baptist Convention. So, Heath, uh, God delights in going to small places and finding small people and making something amazing out of them. That's why I'm here. If
2: you had a mic, this would be the... This is when you drop <laughs> I'm
1: not it. trying to mic drop on anybody. I'm just, I'm just uh, i
2: no, no, that was great. Uh, yeah. A man who needs no introduction.
3: So my name is Lane. Um, and I'm from Farmersville as, uh, as you know, good to see you brother. Good to see you, uh, so the, the heart in Hebrew, from what I understand, has more to do with our will, like what, what we choose to do. So how do you think that colors the importance of guarding your heart? Like, wh- how do you think that manifests?
1: Uh, so like a lot of Hebrew, uh, they'll pack a lot into a word cause they don't have as many words. Uh, and so they'll, they'll fill up their words with a whole lot of nuance and meaning and the heart in Hebrew is also, it's not the soul seat of the emotion, you know, the, the liver or the bowels or the whatever are often caught up in the idea of emotion too. But, but very much the heart is associated not solely with the will, but also with your emotional health. uh, But but you're right. It's completely caught up also in the intent of your will. I think the connection that's made there is that your will to do things arises out of a lot of times your emotional state and just the the way that you've responded to past experiences that you have. Uh, These things are not neatly dissectable. Uh, That's part of the reason why a very old language like Hebrew can sometimes be so accurate because we split everything up into fields. Uh, no, actually you're a neuroscientist and this person over here is a you know, psych- psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever, when actually those two things are not easily separatable. They're, they're connected with one another in some important ways. So, um, so I would just say that if you will to do bad things, Consider that the emotional state of your heart might be part of the problem. And if you will work on the spiritual and emotional state of your heart, that can affect your will to do good or bad. Um, I think that's indisputably true. Uh, People who become angry or embittered in their heart will to be jerks more than people who are grateful and joyful in their heart will to be jerks and people who um, people who are um, who have their heart full of guilt and shame for which they've not received forgiveness Tend to be folks who have a lot of insecurity and anxiety over things that they've done in the past, which lead them to will to keep people at a distance or will to um, um, will to lag behind and fail when they could will to push forward and have determination and so uh, really, I would just say that I think that Hebrew connects those things inseparably, and I think that's a wise assessment of the way people really work.
2: Uh, We got time for maybe one more.
0: Um, Hello, I'm Alyssa. I'm from Michigan, so a little bit far away. Uh, Where? Michigan. Right, but... Oh, uh, Hazlitt, it's a smaller town, so okay. it's kind of near East Lansing. I'm
1: sort of doubting that you're actually from Michigan, because you did not put your hand up at all. To All right, yes. there, thank you very much. The uh, only reason I asked where was so you would put your hand uh, up and show me where you're from. Okay. Um, but I, I preached have... my first sermon in Michigan, but anyway, let's go.
0: Um, my question might be a little bit um, like off-topic, but... Uh, I'm not from a place that has the Southern Baptist Convention, so I'm kind of new. I've learned lots of wonderful things, but I've also learned some things that have left me questioning things. Um, So I had some questions regarding um, just the things recently. Um, I know that you came in after the abuse scandal, but I was just wondering what the SBC is doing to ensure the safety of women and children against violence, and specifically uh, sexual violence.
1: Sure, great question, thank you very much. We do have the Southern Baptist Convention in Michigan, but uh, yeah, I'll have to introduce you to some people. But anyway, um, the, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna shape the wording a little differently from what you said. The question is this, what can the Southern Baptist Convention do to help local churches protect uh, children and women and whoever else from violence and from, and from sexual violence? And the reason that I I shape the response that way is, ours is an association of churches that are only in there voluntarily. And, And the only arrangement that they've made to be in the Southern Baptist Convention voluntarily is to say, we'll voluntarily choose to send you money to do some things, okay? And at no point along the way do they say, we volunteered to let you come tell us how to do stuff in our church. Because all those churches, that's what it means for the churches to be autonomous. They, all of our churches, they hire their own people and they don't ask anybody else who to hire. They set their own budget and they don't ask anybody else how to set their budget. They make all those decisions internally within their churches. Uh, however, that doesn't stop us from wanting to try to help churches, okay? If you have a church that is um, not evangelistic, and we got plenty, um, if you have a church that's not evangelistic but wants to be evangelistic, they might not know how to help their church become evangelistic. And the Southern Baptist Convention wants to be the place that that church would call actually, the entities of the Southern Baptist Convention want to be the places that that church would call to say, I'm gonna call the North American Mission Board, or I'm gonna call the seminary that's closest to my church, or whatever, and I'm gonna ask, do you have a speaker? Do you have a curriculum? I'm gonna call Lifeway. Do you have a curriculum? Do you have a video we can watch? Do you have somebody who could come perform an assessment to try to help our church who wants to become more evangelistic, and we just don't know how to help us know how, okay? The Southern Baptist Convention excels at doing that. And so, the best things that the Southern Baptist Convention can do in response to this are, one, when you have a local church that says, we want to be able to have policies in place and working that would help us to prevent abuse. From ever happening in our church, but we're not sure we know how. We're not sure what the best policies would be. We're not sure uh, how we would implement those. We're 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 not sure how we would get around the problem. Do, do you know that there are problems that come when you when you try to implement policies and procedures like this? And it's not always, hey, here's some pervert who wants to molest somebody. It's sometimes it's just, well, you know. We're not in Dallas, our church is in Honey Grove, And out here we know everybody and we trust everybody and we don't even know how to say to Aunt Myrtle, we're gonna run a criminal background check on you before we're gonna let you keep the nursery in spite of the fact that you've been keeping the nursery for 40 years. And in spite of the fact that if you had ever done anything to get a criminal conviction, we gossip so much in this little town that we all would have known about it a long, long time ago. And to come to a church like that and to explain to them, you have to run a criminal background check on Aunt Myrtle. Because other people are coming to do this that you don't know their background about. And so, so to be a place that can help a church to understand what those policies need to be and how to adopt them and how to actually put them in, into practice in your church. The second thing, if you have a church where some sort of an instance of abuse happens and the church says, what do we do now? We don't know what to do. To be the resource that the church says, I know what I can do, I can call, these people that I found out about through the Southern Baptist Convention, and they'll know what to do. They'll be able to tell me what to do to navigate this. And we've got to have that resource because nobody knows how to prevent sexual abuse 100%. Public schools have been working on this for decades. And there are constant reports of a teacher who has a sexual relationship with a student. The military has it happen. It happens in Hollywood, it happens in Washington, D.C., in New York City, it happens in USA women's gymnastics and women's soccer, and it happens in universities on their their sports teams and in their clubs and fraternities and whatever else. Nobody has figured out how to have a society that you force feed pornography into 24 seven and not have sexual abuse come out of that. And so we're not gonna be able to prevent abuse 100%, but we can, the, the objective here is, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. And so what we want is to try to make our churches harder targets for people who want to abuse than the other institutions around us, so that we can, not because we want people to abuse somewhere else, but just because that's the best strategy that we have, be a, have policies in place that make it really hard to come and abuse in our churches so that those people who hopefully won't find anywhere to go will at least say, I've got to go try to find somewhere else because it's not gonna happen at that church. And so, but if somebody gets through all of that and manages to abuse the Southern Baptist Convention, when you have a church that says, I want to respond to this abuse occurrence well, in a way that takes care of victims and seeks justice and whatever. But we don't know that we know how to at least be someplace that they can call and somebody can say, let me help you because I've helped churches before. And I have an idea what works for you. And then the last piece of this is, we have churches who discover somebody Who's inclined toward abuse, and they say, I wanna, I wanna help warn other churches not to use this person. They weren't convicted of anything here, but they're not gonna be on a on a on a check of somebody's criminal conviction, but man, we know what they tried to do here, and and we wanna make sure it doesn't happen somewhere else, but we don't know how to follow somebody around to every church forever, and we don't know how to make sure those other churches don't know about this person. We want, to, we want people to be able to turn to folks that they know connected to the Southern Baptist Convention to say, can you help me warn other churches about this dangerous person that, that, that we've encountered? We just announced that we're launching an independent 501c3, uh, that we're launching an independent 501c3 uh, organization that's going to try to help Southern Baptist churches do all three of those things, but it's only going to be as successful as Southern Baptist churches are inclined to pick up the phone and call for that help. You're welcome.
2: Would you guys thank me? Uh, don't think.
1: Yeah, me. Yeah, Rob Collins. Join or, me
2: in thanking Bart for being with us here today.
0: Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit Criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.